Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. So we started band camp, and uh, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it. Um, one of the things that one of the things that we that I start with on day one of band camp, and bear with me, this I'm, I'm not teaching by band this morning. I promise. Um, I've had enough band for the week. I'm trying to trying to actively avoid teaching band right now. Believe it or not, uh, but one of the things that that we start with on day one um, is basically just how to stand at attention. Um, and you might think that that is just kind of a, a given, and trust me when I tell you it is in fact not <laughs> a given, um, because we we spend a lot of time up front talking about our posture. We talk uh, a lot about you know what we call horn carriage, right? How to hold the horn, what you're supposed to look like at attention with the horns down, how you're supposed to look like at attention with the horns up, how you march how you present yourselves visually, you know, all of, all of those things. Um, and we do a lot of that um, because it is not necessarily natural to how we normally stand, how we normally walk, things like that. And the reason being that we spend a lot of time talking about that and, and, and repping those things and spending, you know, many, many hours, you know, over the course of the season working on all of these visual aspects of our performance is because, and I tell the I tell the students, and it's one of my it's one of my you know one of my things that I say every year, and I'm sure the by the time the kids get to be seniors, they could you know they could preach it for me. But our first impression is always a visual impression, right? Before the band plays a single note at all, before any note is heard from an instrument, there is an opinion being made about our group visually. Right when you know when the band gets off the bus, for example, how the students conduct themselves, especially you know, especially when we're in uniform, um, how the students conduct themselves, you know, even even while not playing, there are opinions and evaluations and judgments being made about our organization simply from the visual data. When the band lines up, for example, at the at the corner of the end zone. Um, when we go to competition, for example, and I've had, you know, I've, you know, over the years, um, this is my, starting my 23rd year teaching band. Um, and I know that you're all thinking, wow, you don't look old enough to be teaching 23 years. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but, you know, I've, you know, taken band, taken a lot of bands over the years to a lot of different competitions. Um, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to be one of the judges in the press box. Uh, at many competitions over the years. And when the band lines up in the corner of the end zone to enter the field, right, they're all, you know, they're all standing in attention. They're all marking and, you know, marching time or marking time and then marching down the sidelines to enter the field and set up their, their opening formation and all of those things. And usually, usually in the typical uh, announcer's spiel before the band begins their performance, 
you may hear something to the effect, you know, you've heard the announcements of what band is entering the field, where they're from, who their directors are, maybe who their section leaders are, the drum majors' names are called, and, and all of these things. And usually, there is some announcement to the effect of, drum majors, is your band ready? And typically, the drum majors will give uh, some form of salute. And after the drum majors salute, Right? The band is ready, and the announcer may say something to the effect of, you may now enter the field for competition. Right? And that statement is made to kind of signify that this is when the judging begins. Right? That really nothing is scored before that point. Right? But let me tell you something. Let you in on a little bit of secret in case you ever take your band to competition. Okay? There is no such thing as not making a judgment call based on what you see. You can't see something and then unsee it. Just as human beings. As human beings. And even, you know, as the judge in the press box trying to be as fair and uh, unbiased as you can, right? The manner in which the band enters carries themselves, presents themselves visually before that statement of you may now enter the field of competition. You, you, can't, you can't unsee that, right? So that's why I talk about with my students that your first impression will always be a visual impression. You, we, are judged based on, at least to some degree judged, based on how we present ourselves to the world. And, you know, and I, and I tell my students, we can talk about some other time, whether that's fair or not, right? You know, we grow up hearing, you know, don't, don't judge a book by its cover and, you know, and, and things like that. Well, that's, that's true. You know, we should be looking at the content of someone's character and all of those things. That is, that is true. But, you know, when we say don't judge a book by its cover, there are a lot of people that, that spend a lot of time and a lot of hours and making a lot of money based on the graphic design of the cover of that book to make it appealing to someone to buy it. So the cover does matter, right? We cannot help. The first time you meet someone, the first time you meet someone, you are forming some kind of opinion about, about that person based on how they present themselves. If you did not know me, or it, more importantly, if you do know me, and um, you know, later on this afternoon, both of us happen to be in Walmart, right? And you see me wearing a t-shirt that has some ridiculously offensive message on it, right? And you don't, I, I don't see you. I don't know that you're there. You just happen to see me walking down a different aisle, okay? Have I communicated to you about who I am based on what I'm wearing without saying a single word? Well, clearly, clearly we understand that we communicate without words all the time, 24-7, Okay? And we cannot help but communicate without words all the time, right? So what we're talking about this morning, what I want to talk about this morning, as we work to, for those of you that might be visiting with us the past several weeks, we have been talking about developing a biblical worldview, right? How everything we do should pass through the lens and the filter of the scriptures, 
right? So that every new idea that comes at us is weighed against the scriptures, and everything that proceeds from us is governed and filtered by the scriptures. And we spent several weeks developing the foundation of, of that biblical worldview and what that, what that should look like according to, the, according to the scriptures. And then now we are in the applying phase, applying that worldview to various things. So when we talk about how we express ourselves, okay, we do need to have the conversation and the discussion of how we present ourselves and what we wear in order to present ourselves and what are we communicating to the world around us by what we wear, okay? So I want you to start in Luke 6. If you'll turn to Luke 6 for me. Okay, typically, you know, typically when, we, when this comes up, it gets, uh, it gets put into the category of the word modesty, okay? Um, I would submit to you that um, we, have, we tend to have, and I just, I mean, people in general, um, and, and I'm not, I'm certainly not talking about, you know, we as in our congregation, just people in general, we typically have too limited of a view of what modesty actually means. And I would submit that modesty is a symptom, modesty or immodesty, however you want to interpret that, is a symptom of a more fundamental foundational issue. Okay. That if we get the more fundamental foundational issues right, then being modest in how we present ourselves will be the, um, the natural outflow of getting the, getting the more fundamental issue right. So Luke 6 and verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Right? Now, so we just spent several minutes talking about, and hopefully we all agree that we communicate without words all the time, right? So when we read the scriptures, and the scriptures tell us that out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. First of all, does that mean our actual words, our actual verbal language? Yes, 100%, okay? But do we speak without words, okay? Should we limit that to just our verbal communication? No, we should not, because clearly, again... We communicate in many more ways, many more ways than just the words that come out of our mouth. So why, in a discussion about applying a biblical worldview, okay, why is modesty a worthwhile discussion? Right? Why should that be something that is why should that be something that we spend that we spend our time on this morning when we have this uh, this opportunity to dig in to dig into the world? Well, um, again, first, I would submit that if we limit this idea of modesty to just a certain length of clothing, okay, whether it's tight, whether it's loose, you know, I think we're I think we're doing a disservice and we're limiting it. We're limiting the idea too much. We turn it into a checkbox that um, that uh, again does not go to the heart and the root of the issue. The root of the issue, I would submit is not whether it's modest or whether it's immodest. The root of the issue first, the question that should be answered first is humility, right? The issue of modesty and immodesty is rooted in whether or not we can have a humble heart and a humble spirit towards God. 
Okay? A spirit that seeks to please God over pleasing ourselves or and or pleasing the crowd. Right? This I you know, when someone says, Well, you know, modesty is really in the heart, and what I wear, what I wear really doesn't really doesn't, you know, is isn't a isn't uh, enough of an influential factor, or it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the influential factor, right? I can be modest in my heart, right? And that doesn't that doesn't really apply to. I, you know, I can wear what I what I want to wear. Well, again, just just that language. Think about that. Well, I can wear what I want to wear, right? Again, I would submit that that is not the humility that we should be striving for and striving to have, right? The attitude of that person's heart is not one of humility, and it's not one of submission to God. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but, uh, but, of, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Okay? So again, this, yeah, I, that's, why, that's why I like to think of this as, as you know, this idea of modesty being a symptom. Let's strive for humility. Let's strive for being humble. And then let the natural outflow of that, according to the scriptures, let the, the, let the scriptures govern our hearts in that. And we should, never, we should never be a distraction for our brothers and sisters in Christ in their efforts to remain spiritually pure. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, in the context right there, yes, we can talk about... We can talk about the, you know, the eating of meat, but it's a, it's a humble spirit. Okay. It is a spirit of humility. It is a spirit of submission to God. It is a spirit of, um, deference to the, the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters. So let's spend some time this morning just real quickly with a few verses before we continue looking at what the scriptures say about humility, right? Ephesians 4, if you'll turn over there with me. Ephesians 4, looking at the first three verses of, uh, of that passage. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Think about, you know, and there's a... You know, there's an argument, you know, especially a, a rebuttal or, or a pushback against this idea. Um, someone might say, well, I can wear or I should be able to wear what I want to wear. And if that's, a, if, if you have a problem with that, then that's a you problem, right? It is, you know, it's, it's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. And again, that idea of I can do what I want and you're just going to have to deal with it is not found in the Scriptures. Okay? That is not a humble spirit. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Okay? Do we have a humble heart? And are we willing, are we willing to defer? Right? Are we willing to set our concerns and our desires and our selfishness, are we willing to set that aside? One, again, to submit to God. Two, to submit to others, right? 
1 Peter 5 and verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, when we think about, um, you know, any time anytime you have ever, either you have complimented someone or someone has complimented you, I think, um, you know, especially as we, you know, for those of us that have grown up, you know, in the, in the South, you know, Southern hospitality, you know, and those things like that. It is not, uh, it is not uncommon that when a compliment is passed, someone may say, well, you did such a good job of that. I really like how you did that. And the person receiving that compliment might say, well, you know, it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I, I appreciate it, but no, no, no. And then that person that gave that compliment will say what? Oh, you're just being what? Oh, you're just being modest, right? Oh, you're just being modest. Okay, so in that context, what does what is what is oh you're just being modest? What does that mean? Right. Well, what that person is doing is in that context being modest. Being modest means that I am deflecting attention away from myself. Right. Being modest involves putting the attention away from myself or or deflecting the attention. So if that's modest then immodest becomes directing the attention to me, right? It is about making sure that I'm noticed and I want to be seen and I want to be, um, you know, given more attention to, right? And especially given undue attention because it is a prideful thing, okay? When I want the attention... And I want the spotlight. And I want people to look at me. And I say, well, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. Everything else is up to you. That is the opposite of deflecting attention away. Right? Okay? So let's turn over to First Peter chapter 1. And if you will, beginning in, uh, in verse 13. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I think we talked briefly last week, we would all do well we would all do well to spend a little more time contemplating and studying and meditating on the word holy and holiness and striving to be holy and striving to have the mind of Christ and conforming conforming ourselves to the very best of our ability to the holiness of the Lord. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 mentioned this morning, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I think it's the old King James that uses the word peculiar. Peculiar. And I love that. Right? I love that. I love, because being described when if, you know, nowadays nowadays if you describe someone as peculiar, okay, <laughs> my mama might have say, that boy's different. Right? <laughs> that's what I would that's what I'd have heard growing up. That that, boy, that boy's different. But that's that's but isn't isn't that what we're supposed to be? Different? 
right? Set apart, sanctified, not like everything else, okay? Again, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember, remember, okay, this is what we are supposed to be proclaiming. If we're proclaiming one thing with our words, but we're, compla- we're proclaiming something very different okay, with our attire, with how we present ourselves visually, what are we doing to the message? How are we, rep- how are we fully representing the Lord if there's a conflict there? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Hebrews 13 verse 12 says that we should be sanctified, right? Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. We are not supposed to be like everyone else, right? Okay? We are supposed to. Now, that does not mean that we draw so much distinction so that we can say, hey, look at me, right? I'm a Christian. I'm more holier than you, Right? I'm the, I'm the, I'm the example of holiness and blah, blah, blah. Like, know that, again, that shifts, that shifts it back to, back to being just as immodest. Just as being, being just as prideful. It is not about us. We are ambassadors for the Lord. And we should conduct ourselves and express ourselves as ambassadors at all times. Matthew 5 and 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. All of these, all of these passages about being sanctified and being special and being a royal priesthood and a chosen generation and being different and being peculiar, right? And being the salt of the earth. It is about being useful to the Lord, right? We're talking about all this, all, the, all these biblical worldview ideas and all of these, you know, filtering everything and passing everything through the scriptures in an effort to be useful to the Lord. If we are, if we are just like everyone else around us, then again, the salt has lost its saltiness, right? So again, one of those things that we have to consider is how do, how am I presenting myself to the world? How am I presenting myself to the people around me? Am I dressing in a manner that is consistent with my proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord? Am I dressing in a manner that is consistent with my profession? Okay, my professing that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So again, we want to be consistent because that's what, that's what having a biblical worldview means. That is our goal. Right? That every spiritual question must be met with a scriptural answer and that nothing, nothing leaves us without being governed by the scriptures. Nothing in our lives is unbound to the scriptures. Right? So, so now, so you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, get the, that, that's why I say that when we limit it, you know, if, if we're going to talk about modesty and we're going to talk about how we present ourselves and the, in the things in the things that we wear. We have to start, again, with Luke 6 and verse 45, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? That when before we leave the house, right, and contrary to popular, to popular observation in the world around us, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody leaves the house without knowing exactly what they look like. 
right? I don't think anybody leaves the house, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. Okay? No, we, we do. We do. Okay? We, just, we just numb our conscience enough to tell ourselves that, that it doesn't matter. But it is absolutely a heart issue, right? Because we are going to express what is in our heart, right? So the, 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 argument, the arguments that, that, that typically get thrown around about clothing and about what's modest and what's immodest, you know, and things like that, I have, I have generally put them into two different categories, right? One I call the consent argument, and the other I call the intent argument, right? So, um, you know, you think about, think about this when, and it's always fascinating to me, basically what we're talking about, you know, I, I don't think we can talk about modesty, and I don't think we can talk about the conflict um, or the inconsistencies that we see without talking about situational ethics, right? And I am not a sociologist by, by any means, um, and I'm certainly not uh, an ethics professor or anything like that, but I think we all understand what situational ethics means and is. It, 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 it is what it sounds like. It's, it means that we have a different set of ethics for different sets of situations, meaning like in this situation, in this situation, these rules apply, right? Or these morals apply. This code of ethics applies. But in this situation, in this situation, there might be a different code of ethics that apply, okay? I have different rules for this situation than I do for this situation. And to me, there is no more contrasting, no more stark uh, inconsistency or no more clear evidence for situational ethics than when it comes to what we think is okay to wear in various situations, right? And over here, we would recognize that wearing less clothing would be inappropriate, okay? But over here, well, over here there's water. And apparently, apparently when there's water involved, there's completely different rules, right? Over here, over here, if you turned down the cereal aisle at Walmart and saw someone in their underwear... Well, it's Walmart. You might not be surprised, but you would realize how inappropriate that is, right? That, hey, that, that's, that's, that shouldn't be allowed. Like, like, does somebody need to call somebody? Because you're in Walmart and you're in your underwear, right? But over here, over here, if I'm standing on the sand looking at the ocean, I am surrounded by people in the same amount of fabric, and nobody blinks an eye. Right? Why is that? It can't be for any other reason than we have allowed the world to cloud our judgment on what is modest and what is not modest. Because the same amount of fabric, the same amount of, the same amount of covering or uncovering is occurring in both locations. This location over here with the sand and the water or the pool, or whatever it is, has the same amount. It's just this fabric happens to be designed to be in the water. And this, you know, and we think about, think about, and it, it amazes me, and I, I, don't, 
I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be too frank, but it's, but it's a frank conversation. Let's just be honest. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really like pulling punches when we're talking about this because I think it needs to be understood that, that we have a, um, there's a disconnect. Right. And you see, especially this time of year during the summer, you know, blah, 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 blah. You'll see you'll see posts on on social media and it boggles my mind. I'm just going to be honest. It boggles my mind when I see parents posting pictures of their children in bathing suits that if that bathing suit was turned into underwear and in a different location, like someone would be calling the authorities Right? And it's because we, we, it's because we have, we have given ground to assume that, well, it's different, right? Because over here, over here, if someone, if someone barges into the restroom, okay? Right? And you forgot to lock the door and someone walks in while you're changing or whatever, okay? Your first initial reaction is to what? Is to cover yourself. Right? Because that is our, we realize that we need to be covered. Right? So that's why I talk about the consent argument is that, well, well, over here, over here at the pool or the beach or whatever, I'm consenting to be seen like that. That's why it's okay. Right? But over here, I am not consenting. Right? Well, that brings the question of, that's assuming that you have the authority to consent to that. That's assuming that that's your decision to make, right? So the problem is just that. We don't have that kind of authority. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20 says, You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't have the authority. I don't have the authority. We do not have the authority to consent to something that God has not given us the authority to do. And when we think, and think about how, how deep that goes when we talk, and that's, that is the, that is the entire premise of a biblical worldview built on the scriptures is that the scriptures govern what I'm gonna do. The scriptures govern what I'm allowed to do. I do not have the authority if it is not granted to me in the scriptures. Right? You think about, think about 1 Corinthians 7. Right, First Corinthians 7, specifically verse 4, the wife does not have authority over, over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to just me. We never have. We never have. First and foremost, God owns us by right of creation. Okay. So anyone that says, well, I'm not married. I don't have a, I don't have a wife to answer to. Well, I'm not married. I don't have a husband to answer to. Well, you're still owned by God because he created you by right of creation. Okay. Anyone, anyone that has obeyed the gospel according to the New Testament, okay, is doubly owned because they have been bought with the blood of Christ. They are owned by the Redeemer. They are owned by Jesus Christ, right? So we can come up with all of these different ways and all of these different excuses and all of these different things, these, these human rationalizations. Well, I can wear what I want to wear, right? And, you know, if, if that's a problem, that's on you. We don't have that authority. So we don't, going back to the consent argument, we don't have the authority to consent to, well, it's okay over here, but it's not okay over here, right? And, and we, have, we have allowed the world to cloud our thinking so much that I, I hope that when we all step back and realize 
that we cannot allow situational ethics to be our governing philosophy in things like this, right? Our goal, our goal is consistency. But and again, and I use I use things like I, I use I use the water example because it is the the clearest I think example, and it's the easiest to understand. But it's not it's not just that. Okay, we. Sorry, I'm trying not to get frustrated because, it, again, it boggles my mind because I, I really, I really do want, and I'm just being completely honest, right? I really do want to hear the scriptural justification for the opposite of what I'm talking about, right? I really do want to have a conversation with someone that will, that will, that will, that will outline and, and, and argue this, the, argue the opposite, agree, uh, the opposite, um, Side of the uh, side of the issue from Scripture. I'm because re- I I really I really want to know. I really want to know. But it it boggles my mind because we have different sets of rules again for not just water. We have different sets of rules for athletic events. We have different sets of rules for anything involving the arts. Right. We have different sets of rules for um, whether it's you know you know exercise and, and things like that. And again, which brings us to what I call the intent. Argument, right? We've talked about the consent argument in that, well, I'm consenting, so it's, so it's okay, right? The intent argument is things like, well, well, I'm not, you know, if I'm just, if I'm just working out, or if I'm just doing this, or if I'm just doing that, or whatever, well, I'm not, I'm not presenting that in a sexual way, right? My intent is not sexual, so it should not be deemed as sexual. So if it is received or is deemed inappropriately sexual, then again, that's on you. Well, again, this, this idea of, you know, what should our intent be? What should our goal be in all things is, well, number one, to be humble, right? Again, to represent Christ in all that we do. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he, com- he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And I know some people are thinking, whoa, 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 like, we're just, we're just talking about, we're just talking about working out. We're not talking about sexual immorality. Hang on. Hang on. Keep going. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, we just, we just read that verse. What is our goal? Our goal is to glorify God. First and foremost, 24-7, forever and ever, amen. Right? Our goal is to glorify God. And do we have a humble spirit in order to help us achieve that? Right? First Timothy 2, beginning in verse 9. Um, you know, we're, we're familiar with this passage, Paul writing, you know, Paul writing about women's roles and about women's conduct specifically, in like manner also that, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is popular, I'm sorry, popular, which is proper for women professing godliness, professing godliness. And now, personally, Personally, it is, it is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. You know, anytime modesty is talked about, and it's only talked about in terms of what women wear. Now, let me be very quick to say that the Bible is very, very clear 
that when any issue of what is appropriate to wear and what's not appropriate to wear is almost always directed at females. Okay? Men are instructed to mind their, to mind their eyes, okay? to keep their hearts from lusting, right? Because, you know, God knows, God knows how men work, obviously. God knows how women work, obviously. So we have certain things that are directed to either gender based on how they are designed, right? I get that. But we, again, we cheat the idea of modesty. We do a disservice to our goal of being humble and gentle and as a result being modest when we only treat this as an issue for women and what they wear. Because let me tell you, gentlemen, we can be just as immodest as our female sisters in Christ, right? If I walked in to lead singing... Right now, now, and you know, when, when we perform in, uh, in the spring, um, at band concerts and things like that, the typical attire that a conductor will wear is a tuxedo, right? Um, different, you know, different band directors wear, wear different things depending on what their, what their band is wearing. Some bands wear their, they have, they have their uniform. Same, same uniform they perform in in the fall, uh, for their, for their marching shows. They will wear that on stage for their concert performances. Some, um, in the, uh, in the, in the springtime when they're doing their concerts, uh, the, the, you know, they may wear, uh, co- what we call concert black, right? And it might be everybody in black, head to toe. It might be the girls in a, in a black concert dress, the guys in a tuxedo. Or it might just be what, what we used to be able to call Sunday best. Unfortunately, you know, more and more, more and more, you say, well, just wear your Sunday best and you get blank stares because, you know, we have less and less people, um, you know, taking, in, taking advantage of the blessing that it is to come together and worship on Sunday. But anyway. I typically wear a tuxedo, right? Now, if I were to wear that tuxedo to lead singing on a Sunday morning in worship, right? I'm not, I'm not less covered, right? I'm not, you know, and it's, it's, it's not too short. It's not too revealing or anything like that. But I would submit that that is just as immodest as anyone else walking in the door being too undressed, right? Because what am I doing? I'm wanting the attention, right? I'm walking in and I'm trying to draw attention, right? I'm because I'm standing out, and not only that, I'm standing out on purpose. I'm trying to draw the attention to myself. And again, so when we limit modesty to it's got to be this long, this high, and all of those things are true. Let me be quick to say, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. All of those things are true. I don't want to disregard or discredit the idea that we do need to be mindful of how long things are, how tight things are, how revealing things are, and all of those things. But when we limit it to just that, we are missing the larger point of it is not about me. Okay, So if I walked in here wearing my concert tuxedo to lead singing, again, I would be just as just as inappropriately dressed, right? And I, I recognize, and I recognize that, you know, the minute someone says, we cannot allow the culture around us to dictate what is modest and immodest. And that is, that is, that is obviously true. And we, but we also recognize that cultural trends in fashion change over the generations and, and things like that. But I don't think there's, I think we all know, we all know if we're honest, what is appropriate and what is not? What, what helps me 
and helps others around me to glorify God in everything that I do. So specifically, and I don't know how much time we've got until, until our bells start ringing, but as, you know, as we talk about now, you know, getting into the specifics, right, and, and, and what, we might, what we might call what is actually you know, modest dress and things like that, as, as most of the time we think about it, what's too long what's, or, what's, or what's, what's too short, what's too low, what's too revealing, and, uh, and things like that. Well, number one, wouldn't it be nice? Right? Wouldn't it be nice if it was clearly, specifically down to the inseam length, if it was outlined specifically like that in Scripture? Right? I think our elders would appreciate. Okay, well, here's your here's your dress code, elderships. Here, you know, A, B, C, and D. Blah 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 blah. Right? Um, which let me let me quickly insert this. You know, speaking of, speaking of the elders, do the elders have the authority? to establish, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the word dress code, do the elders have the authority to establish a dress code for the congregation? Yes, absolutely they do. Okay? Because what, what is their job? Their job is to shepherd. Their job is to help all of us get to heaven. right? And they have been granted by the Holy Spirit the authority to do everything they can under the umbrella of those scriptures to help to help make that happen. So, you know, it, it's and it's interesting to me when we talk about what is appropriate dress or how how much is enough, right? How low, you know, how you know all, all this stuff. When when you go back to the garden and Adam and Eve, you know, they eat of the they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat, and they realize that they're naked, right? They realize that they're naked, and, and we all know, what did they do? Right after that, they realized they were naked, and they did what? They sewed for themselves coverings made out of fig leaves, right? Now, and I talk about this same thing in the youth group, because y'all know I don't pull punches with them either, right? No matter how uncomfortable it makes them, and it's kind of funny sometimes. Um, when, I, when I talk about Adam and Eve, right, they sewed themselves fig leaves for coverings. Now, in short, let's put it this way. The modesty rules don't apply for husbands and wives, right? There are, you know, within the confines of marriage, there are no limitations between a husband and wife as far as how they are allowed to be seen by each other. Is everybody, everybody tracking? Everybody tracking? Um, and, but it's interesting to me that while Adam and Eve as husband and wife, had no restrictions to what they were allowed to see of each other. They sewed, they sewed fig leaves, they sewed a covering for themselves, and yet God further clothed them. They could have remained, and again, I'm not trying to be crude or anything, they could have remained naked because they were husband and wife, right? But they covered themselves... But then God further covered them. So from the beginning, from the beginning, there is an understanding, there is an understanding that God, that God wants us to be modest in our presentation to each other. Right? Okay, from the beginning. So to say that, to say that it is only an internal heart issue. Is again a very limiting, is a very limiting thing. Now we can get into, 
We can, and, and I know the first bell rang. We can get into more study about the word tunic, right? And what that word actually meant, okay? And how, you know, most of the, most of the scholars point to the fact that a tunic was at least shoulder to knee, right? So we can, we can have, we can have that, we can have that conversation as well. But it's clear as you go through the, um, the instructions for the priestly garments, what they were supposed to wear so that as they ascended the steps that their nakedness would not be revealed, right? So to say that, to say that, well, as long as I, as long as my heart is in the right place, I can wear whatever I want to wear has not been true from the very beginning. Okay? And it speaks, and all that is, is a selfishness that we are not, that we are not willing to let go of. It says that I want what I want, and I am not willing to separate myself from the world enough to strive and try to figure out and try to do everything that God wants me to do and to be consistent. Because remember, our intent is to glorify God in all that we do. Okay? And how we present ourselves to the world around us with what we wear at all times, at all times, not just while we're at worship, not just while we're involved in spiritual activities, not just while we're at camp, right? Not just while we're at VBS, but all the time. Because why should we, why should we be a different person over here than we are over here, right? And if it's just, if we're just following the rules while we're here, or while we're involved in things that are connected to here, we're missing the point. That is a checkbox Christianity, okay? That, well, I can't, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't wear that because the elders don't want me to, want me to wear that at camp. The elders, uh, the elders might say something if I wear that to VBS, right? Wait a second. Is that, is that what our, is that where, is that, is that where a heart should be? Is that a humble spirit striving to submit all things to the Lord and being willing to let go and say, you know what? That's what the world wants. Okay? Can I submit and humble myself to submit and say it's not about me? That I'm going to be modest. And by modest, I don't mean I'm only going to wear things this long. By modest, I mean I am going to wear things this long, but not because someone else said so. It's because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And I want to help those around me be pleasing to the Lord as well. So we're going to stop there. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your your listening. And I know I did um, all, all ooh, I, I did all the talking this morning. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, hopefully I will uh, I will work and try to try to rectify that in in future in future lessons. But I do I do appreciate your your attention and I do appreciate your encouragement. We'll stop there. Thank you guys. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.